Dear listener, Sai Ram and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 16th April 2015. Have a listen please. Offering a most humble pranam to Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, we welcome you to this week's episode of Afternoon Satsang. It is that episode of the afternoon satsang where we dwell on the ramakatha rasvaini the beautiful story of lord shri rama as written by our dear lord but before we dwell into that as always let us begin by taking the name of this sweet lord of ours and shortly after that we'll continue with the story from where we left it last week shri raghavam दशरथात्मजमक्रमे सीतापति रघुकुलामयरत्नदीप dear listeners a very hearty welcome from myself and brother prem to this beautiful afternoon satsang on the ramakatha rasavahini a beautiful satsang because anything associated with rama becomes beautiful and i am sure our lord hanuman who is ever present wherever the ramakatha is sung will also agree that anything that gets associated with rama becomes beautiful by the way i was just thinking that uh, Hanuman must be very very happy the way we Sai devotees address each other and call out to each other because we always say Sai Ram Sai Ram 
I am sure he is grateful to the Lord that even in this avatar, he chose to attach the name Ram to the greeting Sai Ram. So, Sai Ram Hanuman, it makes us happy to tell Sai Ram to you because we have Sai in it, just as it makes you happy to tell Sai Ram to us because it has Ram in it. Prem, you know, I was just looking at the Indian map some time ago in order to locate these different places that Swami has described in the Ramkatha Rasavahini, mm-hmm. starting from Ayodhya, then Swami describes the different places that Rama went to. He meets Guha at Shringaverapuram, then as we shall see today, moving over to Prayag, then Chitrakuta Mountain, all these places. It was amazing, Prem, because, you know, when I checked on the map, all these places actually exist, even to this day. And the most amazing thing was, when we were reading the Ramkatha Rasavahini, we saw that at some places, Swami says, Rama stayed for the night over here, and then he walked on. Then for two days, he took and he reached this place. If we actually measure the distances between these two, three places, and we take an average walking rate of about, say, four kilometers an hour, I think that's what an adult does when walking, not too leisurely, nor in a hurry, about four kilometers an hour and about 10 to 12 hours of walking every day. It all matches perfectly with geography, even to this day. It was really an amazing experience. Very true. I think sometime back I had heard uh, someone say, there was this Western uh, writer who once observed mm-hmm. that, let's say... The Ramayana is a, it's a true work. It's a, something like a biography. Then it's great as an epic, you know, it's, it's really stands out to, as a, you know, shining light for Indian culture. But Mm. imagine if it was not true. Imagine if it was just the fancy of a very good author. I mean, you have to give full credit to the author because he has given a perfect geography of that whole subcontinent. And even today you can retrace that whole thing. And at every place, the description of the place was so perfect. You know, because as we all know, Indian uh, terrain changes so much as you travel from the north to south. The weather patterns change, the vegetation changes so much. And I think that is one of the reasons why if you read the original Valmiki Ramayana, there will be so much of description of the nature. I think to give a clear picture of where in the subcontinent that particular place is, be it Ayodhya, be it Mithila, be it, as you said, Panchavati and the other shores of Ganga. This is a very interesting observation, Prem, because... If we see the different climate conditions in the globe, we have the tundra regions, the tundra regions, then the taiga regions or the coniferous forest regions. Then we have the grasslands. We have what is called the tropical rainforests region. Then we have deciduous forests. We have deserts. We have swamps and marshes. So different countries come into different such categories. But if you look at India, it's amazing that all these things exist. You have places which are hot deserts, like the Thar Desert in Rajasthan. We have places which are freezing cold, which have perpetual snow permafrost around the year. We have regions with thick tropical evergreen forests. We have regions with deciduous forests, meaning for some part of the year they are rich and evergreen. For the other part of the year they have shed all their leaves and they look bare. We have marshy swamplands, one on the Ganga Delta as well as in the Ran of Kutch in Gujarat. So, the Indian subcontinent is a very, very blessed place because it has every climate condition and every kind of 
landscape that the world has it brings to mind a statement that swami often used to say yanna bharate tanna bharata which means what is not there in bharat is not there in any any other part of the world which means that bharat is like a mini world yeah so coming back to that therefore when we see so much of description actually even swami gives a lot of description about the places that rama visited sometimes it may happen that as a reader when you're going through you're keen to know about the story so sometimes you may skip paragraphs of the of these descriptions right. but if we have the patience to go through this description we will realize that swami has mapped it so perfectly so beautifully the ramayana maps the whole indian uh, subcontinent and you know last week left it off at bharata setting forth with the whole of ayodhya except for a few members who were necessary to stay at ayodhya rest everyone has started marching towards meeting rama and three days and three nights they have marched and uh, at the end of three nights they are at a place called shringaverapuram right i think we even spoke about the meeting with guha exactly right. that's at shringaverapuram correct so guha is met by this whole royal entourage at shringaverapuram and shringaverapuram exists to this day you just have to google it possibly the name has undergone a little change maybe it's called shringi veerapuram or shringi veeripuram the vowels may differ but mm-hmm. that place exists and shringaverapuram is very close to allahabad present day allahabad and uh, it is about 190 kilometers from ayodhya okay so if we take the statistics that i said that is an average walking speed of 4 kilometers an hour an average walking time of about 12 hours every day it exactly takes 3 days and 3 nights for a person to walk from ayodhya to shringaverapuram such precision such accuracy is simply amazing oh, yes. isn't it <laughs> absolutely i think that's the beauty and as we said that's what makes ramayana special either way because we know for sure that it it has happened but even for those who have that doubt for someone to be sitting uh, i don't know where valmiki's ashram comes in this whole thing but to be sitting where valmiki was you know situated to be able to describe this whole thing and even if you were to go by his past he was a decoyed probably confined to one forest you know as ratnakara is not capable of knowing the landscape of that entire uh, thing I mean, given that it takes so many days to travel from one part to the other it's not like nowadays right if we see the entire journey map i actually did that if we had a visual medium in radio sai mm-hmm. we could possibly put up that map from ayodhya till rameshwaram rameshwaram is where rama is supposed to have performed the puja before building the bridge right. to cross over to lanka this entire thing is about 3600 kilometers <laughs> and even to this day with all modern roads and modern vehicles it requires one to travel by car non stop for 54 hours to cover this distance non stop for 54 hours which means if we take up the journey we drive about 10 hours every day right. it will take easily 6 days to cover this distance in modern transport this entire distance by was walked by rama it's amazing and he took he took nearly 12 years Right. So uh, there is no way that the author could have ran all over the place and <laughs> see at least Rama he was a prince if he wished he could have had chariots he could have had horses Valmiki Ratnakara you know is just a decoit so there is no way that Valmiki could have traveled the entire subcontinent and then have studied and it's not enough if you just travel the description the details that are given there requires you to stay at every place study the people study the region study the characteristics because as we shall see even the description of the people varies 
because the kind of people that we encounter from the north of india to the south of india i mean the physical traits vary so it's really amazing and profound and it has to be a miracle if it's not a real story and also one more thing is it's because it has happened in you know such a large area the whole story is covered such a large area i think that's one of the reasons why you have so many different versions of the ramayana in each of these places you know giving importance to the characters who belong to that place mm. you know if you go to uh, where the kishtita of the last time used to be there i think the story would be a little biased towards the Anuman contribution Sukriva. of hanuman and sukriva and, and the rest mm. and if you go you know maybe to the regions where probably kaikeyi would have come from the version which swami said that how kaikeyi was playing her selfless role in that whole drama maybe that story is more profound there i think sometime we'll do that also explore the different versions of ramayana and how you know not only is the version slightly different but adapted also to suit that culture of that place i think that would have happened if each of these plays as we see had a small role to play in the entire story you know that's how a story gets localized exactly i don't think there's any thing wrong or uh, true or false in this it often happens because whatever we narrate prem whatever you describe whatever i describe is just based on our perceptions for instance one event maybe a lingodbhavam that swami did during shivratri ask 10 people each of them will give their own version and you might possibly think that these are 10 different lingodbhavams being described why go that far pick out a discourse i mean i can suggest this as a test pick out a 15 minute random clip of any discourse make five people hear it and tell each of the five to write the point which was being emphasized most in that 15 minutes i'm sure all the five might get slightly differing points because it is based on what we perceive also so it adds to the diversity it adds to the beauty and uh, why in india when i had been to thailand for a pleasure trip over there i saw that they have their own version of ramayana right. you go to bali the island of bali it's another amazing version of ramayana amazing in the sense that if you look at rama you you can't believe because our rama is, looks indian because he's the <laughs> indian rama but you go to bali or go to thailand it's different it's a mongoloid rama mongoloid looking rama so as you said definitely our own perceptions our own regional influences color this a lot and this brings in more color to the ramayana more diversity to the ramayana makes it more universal makes it more appealing true but you know one of the things which remains throughout the ramayana is some of the character sketches of the characters of the ramayana you know, the personalities depiction of some of them as we said few are spoken less of few are spoken very highly of but few of them which are always important whose role has always never been debated i think one of them is bharata because you know the way he enters the scene was quite noiseless because rama took all the center stage when he was a little child when he was growing up but i think this whole part this entire section which we are dealing with it completely belongs to bharata because i think he is literally called the attention of everybody to what a virtuous prince he was because in the limelight of rama i think he couldn't shine as much the same thing with lakshmana i think the part before this was lakshmana's center stage because somebody who could be so selfless somebody who could be you know so much living for lord rama and now it is bharata's turn exactly and we were at that point where all the residents of shringaverapuram that is the place of guha they come and offer their prayers to rama they offer it to bharata saying bharata please be the carrier of our prayers 
submit our prayers also at Rama's lotus feet. And Bharata is very, very touched. He is very moved with their devotion and love. But he also knows that he has to get moving even physically, not only emotionally, because he wants to reach Rama as soon as possible. So, early in the morning, they bid goodbye to Guha and the whole entourage starts moving towards where Rama is, that is the Chitrakuta mountain. And so from Shringaverapuram, they start moving towards Prayag, where the ashram of Sage Bharadwaja is. We need to mention a few things, I think, because we missed it while describing Rama's visit to Sage Bharadwaja's ashram. The importance of Prayag. Now, Prayag present day is also present near Allahabad. And it is the spot which is supposed to be the holy confluence of Ganga, Yamuna and Saraswati. The underground river Saraswati. So, it is said, even to this day, it is not said, you can go and check it out. Yamuna is in a different color. Ganga is crystal clear there. Mm -hmm. And Yamuna is about 40 feet deep and wide and powerful river coming there. Ganga is very, very, very fast, but not so wide and only about 5 to 6 feet deep. And they both come and merge at this Prayag and exactly, you know, a kind of a Y shape is formed, Mm -hmm. you know, of Y shaped fork after which both the rivers merge and go together in that triangular delta like area, you know, it's not a delta actually, but in the triangular area between the two forks of the Y, between Mm -hmm. the two arms of the Y, that is the ground where the holy Kumbha Mela is held. Okay. And the Mahakumbha Mela is held once in 12 years over there. It's a piece of land which is possibly about 3 to 4 square kilometers in size. And uh, Ganga and Yamuna meet somewhere in the middle because uh, one shore looks like Ganga, the other shore is like Yamuna. Mm -hmm. So, you have to go somewhere middle into the river. You have to go about 400 meters by boat. A separate platform has been constructed because that is the region where you can be sure that Ganga and Yamuna rivers have met. And they say, if you go during the monsoons, if you stand on this platform, Mm -hmm. because the monsoon brings in an influx of lot of water, you can actually distinguish visually Mm -hmm. between the Ganga and Yamuna. The color, there's a difference. Yamuna is a little more brownish, Ganga is a little more blue-greenish, and they merge together and form. And that water is what flows under that platform there. So, the pilgrims and devotees, millions of Hindus go to this platform by boat, stand on the platform, take water from the river there and bathe because you can't step in. It's about 40 to 30 feet deep there, the river. So, this place is called Triveni Sangam. Sangam meaning confluence. Mm -hmm. Triveni meaning three rivers. So, there are several Triveni Sangams in India formed by the confluence of different three rivers. One is there near Srirangapatnam also in the state of Karnataka with Kaveri and two other rivers. So, this is the most important Triveni Sangam in India. The Sangam of Ganga, Yamuna and Saraswati. And it's on the banks of this Triveni Sangam that the hermitage or the ashram of sage Bharadwaja was. And Bharata and an entourage reach this Bharadwaja ashram. Right. And as Swami describes, this whole journey Bharata is doing it barefoot. And needless to say, even Shatrugna is doing it. And understandable, he's, he's a prince who has never been through such hardships. And uh, Swami says that you know his feet are bleeding. He's not able to take it. His you know there's so much of burning in the feet. But all through he's putting up with this pain, thinking that let this be an atonement for the you know cruelty which has been meted out to Rama in my name. Let it be an atonement for that. And that's the feeling with which he walks, and that is the plight with which they reach the ashram of Bharadwaja. And uh, another description which always comes through in all these things you know, when he meets Bharadwaja and the other people whom he meets later, is that uh, 
all of them look at him and say that who is this he looks so much like lord rama hmm. and later i think so i mean even discuss that many of them think that why is this this prince and his brother come back again why are they going through the same track again hmm. now that's how striking is the resemblance between bharata and and rama and i think swami would tell that in the end of the 14 years actually bharata takes the appearance of lord rama and swami gives that as an example of sarupya bhakti where hmm. you think so much of the lord you become like the lord but he's already like that that's what you gather you know reading this part of the ramakatha swami and uh, that's when the meeting with bharadwaja happens sage bharadwaja when sage bharadwaja gets to know that bharata and shatrughna are coming his joy knows no bounds because first of all rama lakshmana sita was like a super bonus he never expected in the sense humanly he never expected of course sages have an existence beyond the physical realm also and uh, as swami describes all these sages knew that rama is going to traverse this route and that's why they stood waiting or sat waiting stayed waiting as far as even shabari later on we'll see all these so in that sense he knew but in a human sense he was very thrilled when actually rama lakshmana and sita came to the ashram and now his joy doubles because the other brothers also he is getting to see just imagine it's like uh, they say the mountain goes to mahmad <laughs> that's how they say instead of you having to go to a temple to have the darshan when the lord himself comes to you it's an absolute joy and on that note prem a small not a diversion here but just i'm reminded of how blessed we all are prem because in our lives we never had to go to the lord the lord would always come to us be it shivratri be it dasara be it ram navmi be it krishna janmashtami be it anything how beautiful it was i think possibly this is the only avatar where we are so blessed that as devotees we just sit in our place we don't have to buy tokens we don't have to pay money and get into different lines nothing you have to do you just sit in your place wherever you are and the lord will reach you i think that has been the speciality of this ayavatar whether it is darshan or whether it is gram seva you know in the beginning there used to be uh, people gathering and they come to one place and food is served to them but soon swami replaced that with no let each one receive food at their homes this avatar has always been about you be where you are i'll take it has always been about you take one step i will take a hundred towards you so that way this avatar has been really special because i think in all other avatars it would be like you have to take a hundred steps i'll show you where i am but here it was you take one step i'll take 100 towards you and well that was the thought that came in my head but that is how bharadwaja feels and he sends out his disciples to welcome bharata and shatrughna and the entire entourage and it's amazing to know what resources a sage could command and gather because the way swami writes it with great joy and relative ease bharadwaja is able to host and accommodate this entire ayodhya kingdom that is marching along with the brothers in fact swami actually says there you know it must the whole thing was arranged just through the ascetic's mysterious will power hmm. because there is no way of course in in fact swami describes that a whole hall was erected by the disciples of bharadwaja a throne was arranged for the queens and the prince you know befitting the uh, the status of each of those guests and all this was done and when this arrangement is going on swami describes that bharata shatrughna and the queens are in the presence of the sage and that's when uh, bharadwaja notices that bharata is not even looking up to, at anybody you know he's sitting with his head bowed down in some kind of uh, remorse in his whole posture and is more than remorse a feeling of uh, i'm too low even to speak up to anybody and mm. bharadwaja realizes this 
and starts advising him and he says that you know you have to understand that you are not responsible for this and i know what has happened he says if you feel that i will ask you something which will make you feel even more low be assured that i am not going to ask you any because embarrassing i am right, not going to embarrass you with any questions because i know what has happened and i know that you have no role or you are not a cause for what has happened and uh, i think the arguments which follows are very beautiful because at different levels bharatwaj actually tries to console bharata and actually when we see these explanations we realize that these saints sages and men of god spiritual people have an existence beyond just the mundane physical one that we think that life is all about and uh, it becomes even more evident because you can see how crystal clear is bharatwaja's thinking in all the different levels on one level he says bharata i know i know that it appears on one level to be kaikeyi's fault that kaikeyi has done this she has been very cruel she has been senseless she has been heartless and she has commanded rama into the forest and because of you being her son that infamy that bad uh, fortune comes on to you also but then immediately bharadwaja goes on to the next level he says in reality what is it is it is not kaikeyi's fault because vakdevi saraswati saraswati is the goddess who controls our speech in fact again a little uh, diversion here to another story it is said that when ravana kumbhakarna and vibhishana were meditating in order to win boons to become whatever they want to become the gods feared the mighty kumbhakarna more than ravana because it mm-hmm. said that kumbhakarna had such strength that if he enhances that strength with any blessing he will become invincible ravana may be defeated but not kumbhakarna to our listeners who are absolutely unaware of the ramayana do not worry we will come to these three brothers later on but it is said that the devas go to saraswati and pray to her telling that mother you have to do something you are our mother because if kumbhakarna seeks this boon from brahma we are going to be in deep soup and it is said that saraswati the vakdevi the one who controls the tongue the one who controls what we speak right she goes and alters what kumbhakarna asks from brahma because of which kumbhakarna seeks the boon that let me sleep throughout and only wake up once in 6 months and ravana is really shocked with what kind of boon that kumbhakarna has asked basically i came to this to show that saraswati is considered as the one who controls what we speak so bharadwaja says at a subtle level if you see it is not kaikeyi's fault it is mother saraswati's fault that is a goddess who made this come out from her mouth she was just an instrument right in fact uh, the way bharadwaja describes he kind of reveals that he knows a little more than what meets the eye because he says that be assured that what she is doing is only playing a part in rama's plan you know that's what he says that it is not kaikeyi who is brought about this calamity it is definitely a role that she's playing in rama's plan you understand that don't be perturbed by it that is what he mentions at the subtlest level right i mean at a deeper level we are blaming saraswati but even mother saraswati or mother kaikeyi whoever it is are nothing but pawns in the divine plan so finally if you see the truth is everything is going on perfectly in accordance to rama's will so why are you so perturbed again the other thing which he says is he says that don't ever think that you know you are responsible or you are any low a person to rule the throne you understand that all said and done your father never felt bad about giving you the throne it was just that he had to send away rama in exile because he was absolutely sure that you are as worthy as 
Lord Rama to rule. There is no doubt about that. And in fact, Bharatbhaja says that you have no idea what a great name you are going to earn because the future generations are going to talk so high of you. And you know, a beautiful point that Swami makes is he says people will have more faith in the Vedic way when they see people like you. They say that, oh, you can live a life of such righteousness and reach such exalted states. People will have faith in the scriptures when they see the likes of you. You know, that's how great you're going to be. So have no qualms in going back and ruling the kingdom. And that's one of the arguments again he says. The beautiful thing about if you look at the whole, uh, that episode of Dasharatha giving the two boons. All said and done, you know, Dasharatha has given a word to Kaikeyi's father. That the son born out of, you know, this wife will rule the kingdom. And if you look at it, one way if you see, of course, you know, we'll see that after Bharata meets Rama. You know, Rama looks a little bit too stubborn. You, know, you have the whole kingdom coming and requesting you to come back and rule. You have your brother who's coming. The very mother who's asked for you to be banished, she's coming and telling you come back and rule. In a sense, it looks like a very stubborn thing and a very obstinate thing to do, to say that, no, no, I will not come back. Especially that Rama, who when even one citizen in the country is affected and he prays, we spoke about how Rama, Lakshman and all go on a tour. Right. One person affected, he responds. Right. Here is the whole kingdom praying. Exactly. But if you look at it, you know, that actually is a glorifying fact about the avatar, about the Lord. Here is Dasharatha, if we were to go by the description of Dasharatha, he is a man of his word, he is a man of great virtues. And I think he is given a word and all said and done, he would be breaking the word which he has given to Kaikeyi's father. That he is going to allow somebody else other than Bharata to rule. I think all said and done, Rama is going out of his way to protect the virtuous word of his father. You know, even though... That's a very, very beautiful uh, point, Prem, because when we often say, and this is the most oft-quoted statement as to why Rama went to the forest, to keep up his father's word. But what you say brings to light another aspect, another perspective that is totally forgotten. Definitely to keep up father's word. But not only father's word that you go to the forest, but father's word to the king of KK also. Right. I think that is really the nature of the Lord, you know. When he says, the word that you are given is dear to me. You know, your image is dear to me. I will not let anybody else, you know, you are doing it out of devotion. Like, I think we have seen it so many times, you know, when we give a word to somebody. You can see things falling in place in such ways that you can make out that Swami is doing things so that he can keep up your word. You have given a word to somebody, you have to keep up. I think it's it's a such a glorifying aspect of the Lord more than anything else. Exactly. That is what inspired one of the great composers to uh, sing this, you know. I don't know who is the composer or the saint, but I have heard this song which says, Prabal Prem ke paale padkar Prabhu ko niyama badalte dekha. Whenever I have read the stories of Prabal Prem, of the greatest love, I have read about the Lord changing all the rules. Why? Apna maan tale tal jaye par bhakt ka maan natalte dekha. I have seen the Lord giving up his own self-esteem, his own self-respect. But at no cost will he allow the self-respect, the self-esteem of his dear one, his devotee to even be touched. So, it is definitely the case where Rama, to uphold the word of his father, not only to him to go to the forest, but to the king of Kekeya, does this. It's really amazing. There's uh, one more argument also, uh, not an argument as as such, but... uh, this is an emotional statement that Sage Bharadvaja uses and he tells because he knows that all that Bharata is seeking right now is a recognition from Rama, 
love from rama grace from rama blessing from rama so in an emotional manner he puts it forth saying bharatap you do not realize how great your fortune is see everybody from ayodhya is now marching towards rama because all of them have faith in rama they have faith in rama they know that if rama is there nothing can happen to us but if rama is not there we are gone that is their faith in rama and that's why they are all ready to give up everything and march towards rama but the only faith with which rama is marching away from ayodhya is because you are there bharata rama knows that if bharata rules or whether i rule there is going to be no difference at all it is the same that is the kind of faith rama has in you bharata so you are so blessed because there are a thousand devotees who proclaim that they have faith in the lord there are very very few who can actually know or realize that the lord has faith and confidence in them and you are one such blessed one o bharata so therefore live up to rama's faith you know that is where he uses the emotional corner in bharata's heart where bharata wants to redeem himself in rama's eyes want to win rama's love want to win rama's affection that bharata is being told now by bharatwaja that if you want to do all of this the best way to do it is just go back and rule the kingdom without any guilt to the best of your ability you will be thrilling rama and making him very very happy you know having said this the arguments which follows after that you know he says how that night when rama and lakshmana and mother sita spend in the ashram of bharatwaja he says that till late into the night rama was speaking about you with such fondness with such you know love and it it really showed how much he thought about you what he thought about your virtues and what he thought about your abilities you know that gives a lot of joy to bharata you know the fact that rama was thinking of bharata so highly and then he says that having said that what you are going to do now is also very very laudable very very noble this idea of you going forth and looking for rama and trying to give back to him what you feel is rightfully his maybe if he had not done this you know bharata would not have been bharata because i think that's what bharatwaj is saying that all this is right you have to go back and rule you have to you know live up to your father's expectations your brother's expectations but what you're doing now is also part of what is expected of the virtue of bharata that again highlights the fact about means and ends what has to be done of course has to be done but it's also important how you do it there would have been a world of difference between bharata simply accepting and starting to rule the kingdom versus ultimately if you see bharata ruled the kingdom only it was bharata who ruled it for 14 years on rama's behalf but the way he did makes all the difference between an opportunist and between a sincere seeker of the lord the means the means are therefore no less than the ends that gets highlighted again you know as you said when bharatwaja tells of all the fond things rama told about bharata to bharatha bharatha begins to miss rama even more intensely he says oh sage i am very very grateful for all that you have done but my heart will never never get cured of its pain it will never lose its suffering unless i have a darshan of rama so whatever you said i accept but i am sure you know my heart you know what i am feeling within you know everything so there is going to be no solution for me there is no pain that can be assuaged in my heart until i meet rama and with that his resolve to meet rama becomes even more intense that is what in fact we shall see later possibly after this little break this is what makes him even refuse the hospitality of a sage as revered and as venerated as 
सेज भरद्वाजा बट एज ए सेट दैट इज आफ्टर द ब्रेक डियर लिस्नर्स डोंट गो अवे एनी वेयर बिकॉज सम रियली वेरी पॉइनियंट एंड ब्यूटिफुल मोमेंट्स आर गोन बी कमिंग आफ्टर दिस लिटिल ब्रेक सीता जगवंदना प्रशांतिरा जगवंद 
ಚಂದನ ಪ್ರಶಾಂತಿರ ಜಯ ಜಗವಂದನ ಪ್ರಶಾಂತಿರ ರಘುಪತಿ ರಾಮ ಜಯ ಜಯ ರಾಮ ದಶರಥನಂದನ ಶ್ರೀ ರಘುರಘುಪತಿ ರಾಮ ಜಯ ಜಯ ರಾಮ ಜಗವಂದನ ಪ್ರಶಾಂತಿರ ಜಯ ಜಗವಂದನ ಪ್ರಶಾಂತಿರ ರಘುಪತಿ ಜಯ ಜಯ ವೆಲ್ಕಮ್ ಬ್ಯಾಕ್ ಡಿಯರ್ ಲಿಸ್ನರ್ಸ್ right now in the story we are in the bharatwaja's ashram and uh, as we explained through his yogic abilities he is playing the host for this entire entourage which has come from uh, ayodhya and uh, as described by swami disciples of bharatwaja erect a huge hall where all the guests are assured in in due uh, honor of their status and uh, finally there are two thrones placed for one for bharata and one for shatrughna and the disciples assure them in but when they come in they do something which, which surprises the entire gathering because they come and they don't take the thrones which are kept for him but instead they take the what do you call that shamara or the fans which are uh, used hand fans hand fans which are used by the disciples of bharat vacha they take it from them and they start fanning the two empty thrones and uh, when bharat vacha says that those thrones are placed for both of you they say no the only people who are worthy of the these two thrones are mother sita and you know lord rama they are like vishnu and lakshmi only they have the right over this throne we will treat ourselves as servants of our lord and you know they take the food which is offered they offer it to the empty thrones like how you would do navidya to a throne of swami and then they partake the prasadam you know which is offered to the two empty thrones and uh, this whole scene actually makes the whole gathering feel warm with what intense feeling bharata is actually coming to meet rama and it's not only bharata and shatrughna seeing their example the entire entourage is also inspired nobody wants nobody is able to enjoy the feast nobody is able to indulge in their senses as such because all are pining for rama this brings out a beautiful lesson you know when the soul pines for the lord because that is the purpose of life all other things fall away it's not as if if god is your first priority your life will be a bed of roses what happens when god becomes your priority is none of the other thorns seem to prick that is what has happened to bharata even physically thorns and stones are not pricking his legs delicacies and delights of the world do not interest him anymore because he is totally lost in rama it also gives us a hint on how a person who is lost in the lord is you know if bharata wanted he could have just proclaimed himself to be rama 
in the sense everybody thinks he looks like rama he has all the qualities of rama and anything that he said people would have obeyed but he didn't take on you know he didn't do that he was subservient to the lord of his heart he had no other intention his only intention was rama the kingdom was waiting for him i mean he could have romped and ruled as an emperor i'm just so inspired because when i read this though swami has physically directly not pointed and written that way the description itself inspires us so much if we truly open our eyes and read you know in recent times we at radio sai personally different ways in our own capacities we have been bombarded with questions about so many so called subtle forms and and it's not just the case of one or two places multiple places it's happening multiple people claiming to be swami and you know taking on the glory and grandeur of swami i feel we should look at bharata and learn from him bharata had not only the capabilities and abilities he had the right also because he has been told to rule on his behalf and yet he did not because that is the characteristic of a true devotee humility the first thing that is the true characteristic and we can learn a lot by just looking at bharata that is what happened to the entire entourage also seeing bharata they felt inspired and they did not partake they also didn't want any of the thing they had no interest left in anything worldly their only goal was rama rama and rama and therefore even sage bharadwaja did not insist see what is happening here is a a kind of a embarrassing thing for a person of the stature of bharadwaja his hospitality is being refused but even sage bharadwaja understood that these people no longer have any interest in the world and i feel that is another sure shot sign of a truly god intoxicated person absolute disinterest in the matters of the world i think these are all the lessons that we have to imbibe and keep in our mind helps us in our discrimination also and so even bharadwaja without taking offense he directs them in fact he tells bharata that you have to move westwards along the yamuna we just now spoke of how his ashram is at the confluence of yamuna and ganga bharadwaja says now go trace back the route of yamuna because yamuna comes from the west that is what will lead you to the chitrakuta mountain where rama sita and lakshmana are currently residing right just going back to the point that you were making i think sometime back i was reading where uh, professor kasturi used to have this invitation coming from all around the country you know to come mm-hmm. and inaugurate bhajan mandali to come and inaugurate a conference or some kind of a center activity and invariably he would seek swami's blessings and swami would send him i think once he traveled somewhere to north india and he he was part of some uh, gathering such as that and he came back and from the reaction that he was receiving from swami he realized that he has done something wrong mm-hmm. and swami was upset with him and eventually swami opened up and swami told him what he was upset about and swami said have you become so great that you started giving interviews mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what swami asked him swami said you started giving interviews and he said no swami i did nothing like that swami said don't tell me i know whatever happened and you were giving interviews there and uh, no fault of professor kasturi you know poor man he had gone there and people there had arranged meetings with him in such a manner that as families they would come and have a, an audience with him and they would ask him for some advice and based on his association with swami he would tell that this is what swami would have told you but even that swami was not approving of because you know even though he was not consciously involved in it he was becoming the center of their adulation and adoration i remember this reading about this episode prem okay actually the conclusion is very beautiful because mm-hmm. rightly as you said that is what swami was hinting at because professor kasturi tells this to swami he says swami 
I did not whatever they arranged only I did. That's it Swami, nothing, it's all in your name. Swami says, that is right, I know. I know that you didn't arrange, you didn't ask for, they have only arranged. But you delighted and took great pleasure in granting <laughs> those interviews. That subtle the ego is. Ego is the thing that is so subtle, you know, in all this. And that subtle the ego is and you never know when it raises its ugly head. Many times it disguises itself as humility. And uh, that was what Swami pointed and pricked the bubble of Kasturi Garu. And we are grateful to Kasturi Garu for that experience which is enriching all our lives, educating us and hopefully teaching us discrimination. Very true. I think... uh in our association with Swami, all of us, whether we've spent many years, whether we've uh, served in some important capacity in Swami's presence or otherwise, I think as devotees of Swami, we do rub off a little bit of His goodness, His glory. It does rubs off us. And when people recognize that and when people glorify that, that aspect of Swami which is stuck on to us, I think it really calls for us to remind ourselves that we should be able to direct all that glorification to Swami. And say that, you know, he is the one who deserves it. He is the one who owns it. Swami expects that, you know, even a person who might not be associated with Swami, you know, somebody who is talented, is able to give that glory to God and say that it belongs to him. You know, it's it's just that I am a container of that. As devotees, are we able to remind ourselves every time that, are we doing that? Are we doing that? You know, you are a speaker, I get the opportunity to speak. Are we able to direct those people who listen to us and say, oh wow, you, you spoke so well or you, you know, you were so inspiring. To say that, you know, this is just a container. Any other container could have been here. Anybody else could have done this. You are supposed to seek inspiration from the source and that alone is the person who your inspiration should be drawn from. That's a very important thing for each one of us to remember, really. There's a little incident also. Though I don't remember the exact details, it goes something like some of the students or maybe one student feeling this great sense of pride and ego because he was or they were very excellent speakers, very good speaker. So, Swami comes and uh, asks the student, you know, that was the time when there would be a little instrumental music, mostly the flute that would be played before the bhajans. So, Swami comes and asks the student, where is this music coming from? So, the student says, Swami from the speaker. He points to the speaker and says from the speaker. Swami says, no. Say, yes, Swami, it's from the speaker. No, no, no. I'm asking where is the music coming from? And then the student says, Oh, Swami, he realizes that Swami is asking about the person who is playing the flute and he's playing it in the bhajan hall, right? So he says, Ah, Swami, it's coming from inside. And Swami did not add any statement. Swami just smiled and walked away. It became very evident. The speaker might seem to be creating the music, but the music always comes from inside. And I feel that when you said speaker, as a speaker, we have to remember that, that we are just speakers. Speakers, the music comes from inside and that is the same inside that exists in each and every person. It's just that that music is choosing to come out of this speaker at this point in time. So it is something that should humble us and make us grateful to Swami. Not otherwise, it should not make us proud and feel that we are Swami ourselves. Very true. I think one really beautiful example of that is someone like A.R. Rahman. I'm tempted to quote his name because I think even when he went up to collect the Oscar, which is supposed to be like real great acknowledgement for your talent. And always, whenever he is given an award, whenever he is called on a platform and praised, the first words with which he starts his talk is a line in Tamil which says that all praise belongs to him. 
That's how he starts. You know, somebody of that talent can do that. For us, it's a direct experience. For us, we know that we are what we are because of Swami. Whether we are a devotee, the little bit of goodness, the little bit of glory which we have belongs to Swami. Can we direct that glory every time we are praised, every time we are acknowledged for what we have to Him? Say that He is the source. It could as well be you who is receiving it as I am. So, I mean, there is no greatness in me for receiving it. Are we able to remind ourselves again and again and remind the people who are praising us? I think it's a really beautiful lesson as you've drawn attention to in this because that's precisely why Bharata is worthy of our adoration. Because that's what he did even when he knew that we're coming to that point where, you know, the episode in Bharadwaja's ashram is over. They go forward, as you said, they follow the Yamuna. And uh, on the way, the spies of this, you know, this entire kingdom of Ayodhya, which are going there, constantly collecting, they're doing their work simultaneously, the, right? The Bharata secret service. <laughs> right, secret service <laughs> of Bharata. And they actually pick up on a conversation which is happening between uh, three women in which Swami says, you know, that they're always people of different colors and different uh, natures. Mm. There is one uh, woman who is saying that, you know, why is Bharata going? You know, maybe he is a kind of a neutral opinion, you know, why is he going? Maybe he wants to offer the kingdom back or maybe he's just going to take the blessings of Rama and go back and rule. Some even suspect, is it possible that he is going there because he is not satisfied that he has sent off Rama? Right, you know, maybe Kaike has told him that it, it's not enough if you just send him away. You'll have to go and finish him off for once and for all and then come back and rule. There are some of that opinion. There is another person who is saying that, you know, it doesn't look like he is after all a son of Dashrata. You know, he's come from the same lineage as Lord Rama and he looks so much like Lord Rama. I am sure he is going with the noble intention. And she also says that, but definitely he's not going to succeed because Rama has given a word and he's not going to go back on his word. He will complete that 14 years and go back. So this entire conversation is spied upon and he's taken to Bharata. And when it's taken to Bharata, the amazing thing is, look here Prem, if I am Bharata, what are my spies telling me? That there are people who suspect my motives. People who think that I might be doing this to go and finish off Rama once for all to rule the kingdom. That is what they are speaking about me. But when all this is conveyed to Bharata, Bharata feels joy. Why? He is feeling joy because he is thrilled that every person in every village in the kingdom knows the sterling qualities of Rama. Because nobody is speaking ill of Rama. They are always speaking good of Rama. And that thrills Bharata. It's an amazing thing. It makes me get goosebumps. Prem that Bharata doesn't bother what they speak about me. They should not speak ill about my Lord. How I wish all of us side devotees can adopt this. Many times, you know, Prem, what happens is we become so damn selfish that I am bothered that nobody speaks ill about me. They should speak praising about me. They should speak good of me. I want to appear good to the world even at the cost of bringing down Swami's name. I don't care. I seem to care. I appear to care only because it affects my image. Because people should not think that this person doesn't care about Swami. So for that sake, I will do things to protect my image. But I don't care about Swami's image. But in Bharata, we saw the exact opposite. He is happy. That is how Swami describes, writing about Bharata. He is happy listening to these reports from the spies because everybody is singing the glories of Rama and it only makes him even more enthused and even more inclined to rush faster ahead towards the Chitrakuta mountain. And then when they actually see the Chitrakuta mountain, what a sight it is. All the people who are marching get a second wind. There's this concept of the second wind. They say that if you persevere long enough, suddenly the body is able to give you a second surge of energy. 
the people who are marching from ayodhya have persevered for so long and the sight of the chitrakuta mountain gives them that kick they know that there's just this single mountain to climb and once we we are done with the climb we will be face to face with rama and that sight gives them that added energy so with renewed vigor and renewed enthusiasm they start marching even faster towards the chitrakuta mountain right and on the way they meet a lot of people a lot of these recluses and people in the forest who have met rama just a while ago you know on the way and again all of them say that you know you might uh, feel bad and you might feel that you are the reason for it and you are the cause for it you might feel upset with your mother for it but you can be assured that lord rama has come here for us you know there is a purpose why he has made this trip it's not accidental it's not a curse which has come you know out of the blue sky it's not that way it is definitely part of his mission because he has come to give us this joy because they are not able to talk and they are saying that you know we met rama he is so beautiful he is so glorious and being in his presence gave us so much ecstasy and the way they speak you know all these kind of uh, lightened bharatas are a bit and there the scene cuts to the chitrakuta mountain where the three of them you know mother sita lord rama and lakshmana are there where in that morning where this meeting is going to happen rama wakes up and he tells sita that you know something very weird is happening nowadays i'm thinking more and more of bharata no bharata is coming more into my consciousness than before it appears like you know i am going to meet him that's the feeling i get and then sita reveals the dream that she has she has that i had a dream in which i am seeing that bharata and shatrughna have grown grown thinner and thinner because of the separation from you and i also have the feeling that the entire citizenry of ayodhya and all the queens are missing you and they're all missing you and they're all coming towards you and i have the feeling that they are all coming to meet you to come and plead with you to go back so this is the dream which mother sita has and then rama calls lakshmana and he says that this is actually a a mixed signal you know it's a good thing that they are all coming and we can see all of them but you know right he says that sita has had a dream in which he is seeing the entire ayodhya city of ayodhya coming towards here the queens everybody she doesn't mention dashratha and i had a dream of dashratha walking alone without the association of any of these people and i feel that that is a very very you know some sad sign which is coming our way you know lakshmana is not able to see any connections in these two dreams he just says lord you know i feel it's a bad omen see because lakshmana has no dreams of his own <laughs> he doesn't sleep at all we have seen how he has given up sleep for 14 years so in every sense lakshmana has no dreams of his own he has no vision of his future or anything because his future is with rama and physically he has no dreams because he doesn't sleep so possibly the only thing lakshmana could have is daydreams but he doesn't because he is ever vigilant in the service of rama and sita and therefore it is 100% true in every sense to say that lakshmana is a dreamless person <laughs> but lakshmana is very vigilant and he says rama both your dreams are not exactly very pleasant because apart from that i am receiving reports from so many tribesmen from so many of the kiratas the hunters all who used to live in that region because this is a kind of a forested region and many of them have observed an army coming towards us and uh, seeing the banner it appears to be bharata's army i am having this feeling that bharata is coming to fight he is not satisfied with having banished you he is coming here to fight and so please allow me let me organize our resources 
we will give them a hell of a fight you know we will thrash them back and send them back and show them that we mean business lord rama you need not even lift up your bow you just rest here with mother sita just give me the command i am ready to go that is the ever enthusiastic ashutosha ashukopa lakshmana a person who is easily pleased a person who is easily angered and this is what he tells rama right but rama reminds him that never doubt the virtue of bharata he is not one of that nature and you can be sure that he is not coming here for that this characteristic of uh, lakshmana is very interesting it might appear like somebody who is very short tempered and who doesn't think at all mm-hmm. but it it shows the childlike nature of lakshmana you know somebody spontaneity. right the spontaneity of, of that character where he says that if there's a trouble i attack if i've done a mistake i immediately say i'm sorry there is no burden of a baggage behind you know he is in that moment and as you said he doesn't have any dreams of the future dreams of the past he is not thinking about what he was before you know bharata was such a person nothing like that at this moment i just react i think you cannot expect a person to be very stable with such nature generally people who react just at the moment are considered you know very frivolous in the way they react and very immature in their reaction it's not the case with lakshmana because what is backing all of this nature of his is is selfless and pure love for lord rama and you know that is what makes it childlike you know his reactions are childlike because it all comes from a very very pure source as you said prem it is the intention that differentiates what is childlike and what is childish right <laughs> so definitely lakshmana is childlike and another in- nice thing to notice here is when lakshmana tells all this rama calms down lakshmana and he tells him no whatever is happening is for the good this rama's ability to see everything as good i mean if i was in rama's place till now what has happened is havoc i was going to become an emperor i was thrown my wife is in bark clothes my feet are trodding on sharp stones and i am i'm living somewhere here and now an army is sent out after me it seems like the most terrible situation to be in but rama says no it is all for the good it often reminds me of what often swami used to you know whatever you tell swami his response would always be manchidi 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 it it's good it's good and swami himself in a discourse had narrated once when how the news was told conveyed to him about the demise of his bodily father and his bodily mother and both the times when it was first said swami said manchidi when some other people also reported you know that they had lost somebody swami in a discourse said he came and told me that his father has passed away and i told him manchidi and swami in the discourse goes on to say you may wonder what is this swami saying my father has passed away and he is telling manchidi swami says everything that happens is by the will of the lord and therefore has to be manchidi and we see that trait that is why you know when we read about rama and ramkatha rasavayani so much of swami's memories come into us we keep reminding ourselves so much of swami when we read about rama because i guess all the avatars are very very similar deep down their physical traits characteristics and their way of mannerisms behaviors may vary depending on the age and the purpose with which the avatar comes but deep down below all the avatars are same that's why reading about rama reminds one so much about swami and this is how rama calms them and actually gets re- ready to receive his brother bharata because rama knows what bharata has come to convey at this point dear listeners it is quite lengthy and amazing what happens in this meeting between rama and bharata we don't want to go into that now because it requires one entire satsang in our opinion 
but what we shall do now because we have about another 20 minutes left of the afternoon satsang is we will play one scene from a convocation drama that was staged in swami's presence in this scene there is this meeting between bharata and rama as visualized and scripted by the students of the university it's not exactly in accordance to the ramkatha rasavahini but it brings out some really subtle and beautiful messages and swami himself has witnessed this scene a dozen times at least and finally he watched it even on the day of the convocation i think it was in 2008 so we shall enjoy this with all its music don't miss this the next 10 minutes are going to be captivating and beautiful because you will come across some of the most beautiful expressions of love most powerful expositions on dharma all this blended with soulful music and songs we'll meet after this dramatic piece don't go away anywhere and for heaven's sake don't miss this piece dear ramachandra bharata today as we assemble here your glorious ancestors are proudly watching over you what bharata has done today is unmatched in the history of emperors i stand overwhelmed by what has transpired between the two of you bharata pour out your heart to your brother without any hesitation gurudeva janak maharaj please accept my salutations brother ever since you left ayodhya the place has verily become a graveyard where one hears only cries of lamentation for the sake of the people of ayodhya please accept the crown and return to the city chakramule niratham nirarulule nipanta चंद्रकलुले निरात्रि सिंधूरमुले निगृहिणी निवेलेनी अयोध्या राज्यंबु देवदेवा I to experience the pain of parting with Ayodhya but my swerving from father's command will bring ignominy to the entire clan of Raghus is that what you want Bharata tell me but Ramachandra Gurudev is witness to the fact that mother Kaikai has withdrawn her demands that she made on father and even publicly apologized for her folly bharata mother might have withdrawn her demands but it is to the father's command that we all are bound one son must be in the forest and the other should rule over the kingdom if that is the case i shall spend 14 years in exile you return to ayodhya and bring joy to the people bharata Dharma is not something that can be tampered with by barter. I have to practice 
माई धर्मा एंड यू योर्स एट एनी कॉस्ट सहज गुण पालनम बो धर्मम बो धारणम बो नी जीवनाधार आधेय मुलो धर्मम बो परुलकेट्टु साध्यम बो नी धर्म पालनम बो सागिंपा बलदु सोदरा बलदु सोदरा बलदिट्टि व्यापारंबु मनमच्छा Lakshmana, you understand my predicament. At least, Rama may pay heed to your words. Please intercede on my behalf, brother. You know Rama much better than I do. He will not swerve from the path of dharma. His duty is to follow dharma, and my duty is to follow him. All right, brother. You follow your dharma, and I shall follow mine. Karunim pani kante, ganu devadani kara, ashrayinchiti ni padam bujamulano, ardhin china pudu. లేదన నేరవని కదా చేతులొగ్గితి నీదు చిత్తమునకు ఏమి అని తలచుకుంటి నన్నిప్పుడింకా ఉద్ధరింపకయుంట నీ ఊహ ఏమి నీవేలుదాక నేనిట్లే నిలుతు తండ్రి unless you accept the kingdom and return to ayodhya i shall forsake food and water and end this worthless life bharata do not push me into a dilemma by such a drastic step gurudeva i plead with you kindly tell us what we should do rama bharata's devotion has the power to submerge the three worlds the love of bharata has created ripples of emotion in my otherwise composed mind the only person who can resolve this dharma sankata is rajarishi janaka maharaj you are the epitome of equanimity and wisdom please enlighten us Ammarishi Vashishta has put me in an unenviable position by asking me to resolve this intricate situation where the irresistible waves of love confront the immovable bedrock of dharma but perhaps 
it is the lord's wish that he gives his judgment through me rama bharata dharma moolam idam jagat the power of dharma is what sustains this universe but prema is higher than dharma when prema as devotion reaches its zenith god himself breaks the laws of creation this is not a conflict between brothers but a confrontation between god and his devotee and god has to bow to the will of his devotee janak maharaj ki janak maharaj ki but bharata prema has its own dharma selfless love asks for nothing it gives away everything love is sacrifice bharata love is sacrifice ask your brother what he wants in his happiness lies yours तेलुसुकोलुमुतुत्रुंड परमप्रेम रहस्यमुकटी कष्टमयीननु मदिलो इष्टपूर्वकमुगा देहभावमुवीडी त्यागाननिलुनीवु मरचिपोई धर्ममूर्ति रामुनि आनती मनसार महाराज आई एक्सप्रेस माय डीप सेंस ऑफ ग्रैटिट्यूड टू यू फॉर लिफ्टिंग द वेल ऑफ सेल्फिशनेस दैट ब्लाइंड इन माय आई forgive me ramachandra never once did i ask you what you wanted your wish is my command please bless me with your guidance and grace rama surrenders to your devotion none can match the depth and intensity of your love rama promises that he will rule over the kingdom but in his physical absence bharata will be the guardian of the empire that dear listeners was that clip from the convocation drama of 2008 what a beautiful dialogue and needless to say that music that poetry all adds to the beauty of that whole episode but really as we said last week it's one of the most important points in the ramayana because as we said whatever the wisdom the ramayana has is useless if it cannot be used in our own lives if it cannot be used in our own journey in our own journey towards swami with swami and this is that point where you know if looked at very superficially you could say that bharata went out with a mission and he came back defeated 
But in fact, he did not come defeated. He went and learnt such a beautiful meaning to the love that you know he bore for Rama, and he came back with that. In fact, he came enriched. He was the one who actually won. And uh, somebody said, you know, the duel between the Lord and the devotee is where the Lord loses when the devotee wins. When the devotee wins, when he actually loses. And that's exactly what has happened here. Because here, the devotee has lost and that is where he has won. And the Lord has won because the devotee has won. You know, often when it is said that the Lord cares not for dharma because of his prema. Here, it is so beautifully brought out. It's so amazing. In the beginning, the decision is said that prema is definitely superior to dharma. And prema transcends dharma. Prema is beyond dharma. Prema is above dharma. But then, what kind of prema is beyond dharma? That is the important thing, which makes us think deeply and realize that prema is very different from just liking something, from just desiring something. That is not prema. Prema is characterized by absolute selflessness, where there the individual has no desire at all, has no liking at all. So, when I say I like ice cream, it cannot be my prema for ice cream. It's just like it is so much lower in the rung. And therefore, at that point in time, when Bharata is told that you are a winner because prema is superior to dharma, Bharata is also reminded that that prema is supposed to be selfless. Oh Bharata, have you cared to ask what is it that Rama wants? You have immense love for Rama, right? That means whatever Rama desires should be more valuable to you than anything else. And Bharata realized that yes, all this while I am asking what I want. Possibly I will just narrate this anecdote. I might have narrated it many times before but it is very relevant here. I remember on an occasion all of us were planning to put up a program and Bhagwan was interacting with us in the bhajan hall. And one of my classmates, he got up and he told Swami, Swami, please Swami, we have only one request. Will you fulfill that request? Swami said, what is it? He said, Swami, you are sitting on this wheelchair, Swami. Please just throw away that wheelchair, get up and walk, Swami. You know, this prayer was made with great emotion and great intensity of feeling. Because all of us know that it's a drama, it's a role that Swami is playing. If he wants, just like he threw away the paralytic stroke in a moment, he can just throw away that wheelchair. And this boy was asking with such great intensity, a few tears welled out of his eyes. And seeing that, it was such a, you know, what a sight it was. Swami too became emotional. And he consoled that boy. He said, Bangaru, don't, 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 Bangaru, don't. So at this point in time, it looked like, you know, Swami is also very, very vulnerable. And we all thought that possibly he will accede to our wish. He'll get up. As you said sometime back, Rama seems so stubborn. Swami is no less in that. Swami then said, listen, Bangaru, why do you want me to walk? And this boy, he said, Swami, you are in such pain and suffering. So please, Swami, give that up. And Swami said, no, Bangaru, I don't have suffering. I am very happy. And that was it. And this boy was stumped. because You can't argue after that. You can't argue after that. But this boy was smart. Huh? He argued. He said, Swami, you are beyond pain and suffering, but we are not. Swami, when we see you like this, we get great pain, Swami. So get up and walk. In an instant, Swami's emotion changed. He was no longer that vulnerable Swami. He had a slightly stern face and he said, hey, that is selfish. You want me to walk because you are in pain? You know, if you look at it from a human point of view, here is a person with a so-called handicap 
and you are expecting that person with a handicap to do something so that you can be happy shouldn't you be selfless at least in that situation and think of the person with that so called handicap and here swami you know comprehensively routed both the arguments he said if you say that i should walk because i am in pain don't worry i am not in pain if you say that i should walk because you are in pain that is selfish for your sake you want me to do something you know again highlights that when you say you love swami what swami wants is what we want somebody had asked whether god listens to the prayers of a or prayers of b ultimately if we look at it god's will prevails god has decided what has to be done because that is the best for everyone and those who are in sync with god will pray exactly what the lord has willed and therefore it is the prayers of the one who is in sync with god that is always answered and i feel this whole thing of bharata coming to rama just brought him more in sync with rama and therefore it is neither a loss nor a defeat it is a victory in every sense because it brought bharata more in sync with rama and i guess we shall go in depth and explore that to great detail possibly in our next satsang on the ramkatha rasavahini definitely and but now with the benefit of hindsight now when we see it are we surprised that bharata did this because after all he is the son of kaikeyi isn't it you know in the point where it came to kaikeyi rama did not reveal her selflessness you know because she also had the same predicament you know choosing to do what she would have never done otherwise and to do it because rama wants it and that's exactly what bharata is doing right now he would have never wanted to rule a kingdom you know which was right which was not given and which was not offered to rama but here he is doing that very same thing because that is what rama wants him to do and you know really no surprise that bharata did it because as as one of the other citizens observed you know he is after all the chief of that same old block and mm-hmm. he is definitely done what mother kaikeyi did so dear listeners as arvin said there are definitely more beautiful and subtle and deep arguments which swami gives in this conversation between rama and uh, bharata and the beautiful thing is this conversation as we played out is in a sense what uh, the way valmiki looked at it you know the way a human being looks at the lord but what did swami portrayed as how did swami say it and that we'll have to wait till next week that we'll talk about in the next time we meet for the ramakatha session so dear listeners we really hope that you are enjoying the ramakatha as much as we are enjoying do write to us you can write to us at listener@radiosci.org we had a few listeners writing in with some side stories related to the ramayana as and when our discussion moves along that direction we shall be incorporating them in our narrative so any such things are definitely welcome do write to us as i said it is listener at radiosci.org we shall meet again next week for another afternoon satsang so till then enjoy this beautiful song keep thinking of the lord keep living your life for him in him with him because there's no greater joy than the joy of union with god in fact happiness lies only in union with god with that thought we leave you with the song
You just heard an episode of our radio program Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12:30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays only on Asia Stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 16th April 2015. Dear listener, We hope you like this program. As always, you can send us your feedback to listener at radiosai.org. You could also WhatsApp us your feedback to this number nine three nine three two five eight two five eight. Thank you and Sai Ram. <laughs>